What you the know, hell like, is a ventrilla dog? It's a dog that can throw its voice. <laughs> it throws its bark. It throws its bark. You know, because it also sounds like the dogs in different parts of the apartment. One, you know, it'll bark and it'll sound like it's at the the wall. You know, the common wall. And the next thing, I know it'll sound like it's like far away. <laughs> I'm serious. It's a ventriloquist dog. I, that is that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. So, I don't have lips for what. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Hello, this is Samuel Hansen, and you are listening to Combinations and Permutations, episode 15. On this week's celebratory, we're done with finals episode, we realize that 8,734 is much larger than first thought. How to get the books you want out of a book fair, and what exactly is the pernicious idea that infects mathematics. Here it goes. Hello and welcome to Combinations and Permutations. The math podcast that comes to you from the mail room at CDC Building 7. And with me today, I have a man who has no superpowers, but is finished with real analysis. Yes. Anthony Solari. I have spent 40 hours on that class, and I no longer have to see it for... 40 hours in... One week. Yeah. (laughs) On that class, and now I'm finally done. Yes, victory. And then uh, we have a man who can't decide whether or not he's Bagger Vance or Michael Jackson, Christopher Bates. I am an enlightened individual. I've just learned that dogs do not have lips. (laughs) (laughs) That is very true. And so, as we do most weeks, I don't think I've I've mentioned this recently, but I mean, it's, it's quite clear if you listen. And if you listen, by the way, please email us combinationsandpermutations at gmail.com or visit the blog and leave a comment at combinationsandpermutations.blogspot.com. And as I said, if you listen to us, you know that we generally start off every week with some sort of mathematical topic. Mm-hmm. And the topic this week, unbeknownst to everyone else in the room other than me, is infinity. And, uh, well, I got one look, I got one look that is, uh, kind of like, oh, that's stupid. And then Chris has his hands on his head (laughs) with his mouth agape. And his brain's leaking through the mouth slowly. I'm not entirely (laughs) sure why this is happening, but. I was just thinking there, you know, Cantor, here he goes. This guy named Cantor, he comes along and he invents all the numbers of infinities that there can possibly be. Which there is an infinite amount of. There's an, not only is it infinite, it's probably not even countable. No, it's it's an uncountable and number a, of uncountable infin- infinities. Yeah, but not only that, it doesn't go from one to the next, to the next, to the next. Sometimes it goes off in branches. <laughs> you know, like there'll be this. Okay, infinity, okay, yeah, that okay. Infinity. Let's let's haul ourselves back here, well, and let's say take the have, assumption that there might this- be somebody listening who has never properly studied what infinity is. And let's well, start at the beginning. All I was saying was we had all this structure, but our topic's just infinity. 
<laughs> it's like I need a I need direction. No, here. no, no. We're just talking about <laughs> infinity. Okay. Just I mean, just I mean, one. Let's be very clear. Mm. I think I may have said number earlier. If I did, I'm very sorry because infinity is not a number. It is in no way an actual number. It's a concept. All right. If you're talking to set theorists, they sometimes talk about them as numbers. But it's it's not actually a number because set theory isn't actually anything. All right. Well, it's not a number in the <laughs> sense that it's not a set of the real numbers. <laughs> okay. So anyway. let's let's go back <laughs> and let's just start talking about the concept of infinity and one of the earliest views comes from India uh, and this is this is early mind you this is fourth or third century BCE we're talking a long ass time ago what six thousand years ago somewhere in there five to six thousand years ago which century fourth is somewhere between the fourth and third BCE third century yes so that's only 2005 no, it's two thousand years to go back to zero, yeah, and then and then three thousand. Oh, third century. Yeah. Oh yeah, not third millennium. Yeah. Wow. Hey, everybody, finals are over. <laughs> over I don't have to be able to add anymore. <laughs> okay. Well, yes. we're math majors. We can't add anymore. So we're going to Yo, the year yeah, negative three hundred. Yeah, negative three hundred or so, <laughs> and. Uh, oh man, I'm gonna butcher this to... name worse than Wolfgang Bine. Yeah. Algorithms teacher, computer science department, UNLV. Oh, Very yeah. good guy, but he butchers Indian names oh. constantly in class. And Wolfgang, by the way, if you're listening to this, fantastic class. Thank you. Don't think worse of me. Unless you're listening to this after next Tuesday. And you can think what you <laughs> yeah, like, after, I guess. Yeah, after you can think whatever <laughs> you like uh, because the grades are in. Uh, Isha Upanishad of the, oh, the Yaj... Urveda states that if you remove a part from infinity or add a part to infinity, still what remains is infinity. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's that really is, I mean, essentially the basic of the concept is that it's well, yeah. so damn much that you don't, you can't really do anything to it. At least the basic concept. At we least. will get into that later, Anthony. Stop trying to butt in with Cantor. No, I was saying at least <laughs> if you only take away a finite amount. Yeah. Yeah. But if you take away part, and, yeah. and, and they were talking, I mean, in the most basic sense. And so yeah. we, when they were thinking take away, I mean, you're just, I mean, you take away a handful of something. Yeah, you you take, take a handful of apples a, out of an infinite basket. They're still in. There's still an infinite number of apples in the basket. Unless you, yeah. unless you got provided, some big ass hands. Provided, <laughs> provided it was full. And if, if they only had two apples in the infinite basket in the first place. Oh, you're not. <laughs> An infinite pile of apples. <laughs> An infinite, there we go. Yeah. and In uh, terms of not really, two really big apples, but... And then there's... <laughs> uh, and then there's an Indian mathematical text, uh, Surya Prajnapti, uh, 400 BCE, classifies all numbers into three sets. And this is actually... This is quite amazing for 400 BCE. Innumerable. So en enumerable. So we're talking, you know, uh, finite sets essentially, and then innumerable in, which would be in our parlance these days, countable sets, mm. and infinite, which is more than countably. Infinite. Yeah, 
And so uh, they also, innumerable was lowest, intermediate, highest, innumerable was nearly innumerable, truly innumerable, and innumerably innumerable. And infinite was nearly infinite, truly infinite, and infinitely infinite. Those are the classes that they split those classes up to. Now, for 400 BCE, that is that's, that's very high levels. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's. I don't think we had anything in the West till 2,000 years. Oh later. no, actually, no. I'm wrong in what they're talking. According to Singh Joseph and Agrawal. By the way, I'm getting all this information from the Wikipedia article <laughs> on infinity. Um. The highest enumerable set, so the EN1, corresponds to Aleph Null. Yeah, yeah, so, countable. wow, those things above that were... Yeah, yeah, countable. Yeah, and so, yeah. but that's innumerable, not innumerable. Hmm. So, uh, the infinite cardinal, blah, 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 blah. Okay, let's go on to the Greeks now. Uh, and in the Greeks, the Hellenistic Greeks, Greeks uh, distinguished the potential infinity from the actual infinite instead of saying that there were are an infinity of primes euclid prefers instead to say there are more prime numbers than contained in any given collection of prime numbers this also i mean kind of how we describe infinity now yeah they had a different philosophy on what numbers actually were yeah. And they had these ideas that numbers actually existed, but everyday reality only approximated the true reality. Platonic. Platonic. Of course, nowadays, I, we tend to think that mathematics is this abstract thing. It doesn't really exist, but the real world can be modeled by Bo- mathematics. Modeled by mathematics. Yeah, we tend to be... I don't know. Some mathematicians tend to be platonic as well. well they're Math- just, they're just wrong. Mathematicians <laughs> tend to be incredibly platonic. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not. And we're gonna. I think we're, not. Well, we had a we had a the first show that we ever did. Oh yeah, that's true. We did talk uh, about we, that. We uh, that was a long time ago. Yeah, that was that was uh, what 14, 15 episodes ago, somewhere yeah. in there. I think this is episode fifteen. Well, the, yeah. the problem is, I mean, this whole thing about platonic, you know, these numbers existing independent of us is silly in the sense that our brains are the mechanisms that allow us to think about these things. But, and... but the Platonists would argue that the brain holds inside of it this platonic form. That is why we're able to think of it. The platonic form doesn't come into being because we think about it. We think about it because the platonic form already exists. We're basically born with all these forms, and our job is to manipulate them. Yeah. That... So we kind of realize the relationships, and in realizing the relationships, then the relationships have true. Yeah, when reality. when all of a sudden the first person who ever thought of building a chair, you know, those things we're sitting in right now, it was not that he's like, you know, having this, then this is a pretty comfortable way of sitting down. I should probably do something like this. It was not that that was his thought. It was all of a sudden his brain came to recognize the truth of the form of the chair, and ever since then. We've only been trying to get closer and closer to the idealized chair. form that is the chair. chair. Are, are the are humans the only ones who can contain these forms, or can the you know I, some advanced computer or some other biological oh, entity? I don't know if Platonists have even started to think about that yet. They probably have, but I don't know anything about it. Yeah, I I know they didn't like the idea that animals are rational beings. Yeah, squirrels so, are pretty rational. But yeah. yeah, so are ventriloquist dogs, huh? Yeah. The way they throw their bark. <laughs> <laughs> Keep wondering how they move their lips to throw things properly. But we have, okay. they don't have lips. Yeah, and then they don't have lips. It's like, how do you do that? 
Well, uh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about history here. Uh, after after the Greeks, there's not much uh, that's been written on the Wikipedia article at the very least that I can give. Uh, but the next one of the next big things was actually the creation of the symbol, because without a yeah, symbol to do something with, it's very hard to manipulate infinity and mathematicians, especially these days, a huge amount of mathematics is about manipulating infinity or infinite amounts. Yeah. And so uh, it wasn't, it wasn't until, it wasn't until uh, it was introduced that um, we could really start dealing with it. And it was uh, 1655 that it was introduced by John Wallace. And now a couple of, uh, wait, uh, there's not really much else. Uh, well, it's, let's see, one conjecture, he chose a symbol uh, is that he derived it from the Roman num number for 1,000 that was in turn derived from the Etruscan numeral for 1,000, which looks something like the Xiao. Uh, I don't know. I'm that, it's, it's, it's in a language. We don't even have those letters. And was uh, sometimes used to mean many. Another conjecture is that it's very close to Omega. And later on, we will talk about how Omega is used a lot whenever yeah. we're dealing with infinities. Um, but a couple of quick notes about infinity symbol before we actually start talking about infinity itself. I swear this monologue will end very soon. Is that if you're reading writing it, Wikipedia. if you're reading it, if you're writing infinity in various things, if you want to do it in HTML, the code is ampersand in fin if you want to do in latex backslash in t <laughs> i n f t y and in unicode it's u plus two two one e or in decimal notation eight thousand seven hundred thirty four <laughs> why is it so small so so everybody infinity equals eight thousand seven hundred thirty four we, we we have solved the answer to the answer to our problem. Yes, yeah. <laughs> eight thousand seven Chris, Chris is trying to write this on the board. A, a, a interval so it can remember zero to infinity. <laughs> but he just tried to write eighty thousand seven hundred thirty-four, which doesn't do us any good. Okay, so now let's start talking. And for this, we don't actually need the Wikipedia article because we've all done it. Mm. Let's start talking about infinity. Now let's first start talking as first, we as we talked about earlier. Let's talk about the different types of infinity as mathematicians know them now. And I will let Anthony. Oh, I was thinking first. First things first, you have to define when two things have an equal number of elements in them. And there's, I mean, there's two ways of doing this. Normally, the way they do it is they do it by cardinality. They do it if two sets have an equal number of elements. If there's a one-to-one -one function, one-to-one -one and onto. Yep. From or one a one-to-one -one function from one and then another one-to-one -one function to the other. To the other. You can, you, and you can define it both ways. But yeah, one-to-one -one and onto. You need an, a bijection. Yeah, a bijection. And by Which... a one-to-one -one means that for every entry on uh, – because your function is from one set to another. And whenever you take one element in uh, the left-hand – say the left-hand set, it corresponds to a unique element – on the right hand side. So if you do f of x equals y, then f of uh, f of x1 equals y1, 
f of x2 equals y2 and y1 x1. equals y2 if and only if x1 equals x2. So no collisions. And then yeah. onto means that it covers the entirety of the right-hand set. There's not an element in the right-hand set that does not that when you uh, that is not the answer to some f of x. Yeah. Okay. Complicated. Yeah, go go ahead. Doing it doing it counting apple wise. You know that if you have five apples, I mean, I kind of have to talk about it. But if you have five apples, you know that there are five apples because you can count the first one. You associate the first apple with the number one. One. And one goes backwards. You associate the second ap apple with the number two and so on and so forth. Yeah. So you get to five. And then you know because you have a one-to-one -one function that way, you have five apples. Yeah. Okay. And so, th so that's, that's set equality. That's set equality. Okay. So now what about infinities? Infinity in... Okay. A set is finite if, let's see, how does that work? Okay, come on, just just basic level. A set is finite if given a finite amount of time, you Basically, can count you it. Can't. <laughs> huh? You can count it. I mean, let, let's, just, let's just make the simplest thing here. Doing what you just did, counting, you know, looking at the apples, that one's one, that one's two. There's a finite number of apples. If it could, if in a finite amount of time, you could set each apple equal to one of those numbers in ascending order. Yeah. That's, I mean, I that's mean, that, finite. That's true enough, but also what happens in terms of our functions. Basically, two, um, a set is finite if there is no function that's one-to-one -one from it onto a, a proper subset of itself. Yeah. And so and, uh, infinity is defined as things that are not finite. And so, you know, if you have five apples, you can't associate five apples with four, four apples yeah. and not have two of them go to the same apple. Yeah, okay. And that's how that's how finite numbers are defined. Then infinite numbers are everything else in the world. Yeah, uh, which in the world means could mean anything. There, there aren't. <laughs> but how do you... Oh, yeah. yeah. In, in, the re in the real world, there aren't. So maybe yeah. you can argue that these infinities don't exist. Yeah, well, uh, that's that's a completely and, different thing. But so, but I mean, there's I mean, multiple there, different there's types of, of in, infinity. Mm -hmm. uh, one that we've mentioned before is countable. Mm. We've also mentioned uncountable. Let's cover countable first. So countable now, is just basically as many elements as there are integers. Integers. Yeah. So it's it's well the positive integers even. I mean, it's matter. just the natural numbers, Big. counting number. I mean, yeah. it's, that's the most basic definition. Yeah. It's the counting number. So you start counting one, one two, two, three, three four, four, five, five and you don't stop. You can never stop. And the collection of all of them. Yeah, the countable. collection of all of those is countable. And that is also what in set theory is referred to as both Aleph null hmm. or omega. Depending. Yeah, on. depending on what part of oh, set theory you're yeah, currently talking, you're talking about. Of, one of them goes to cardinality and the other one goes Aleph to null ordinality. Aleph null is a cardinal yeah. and omega is an ordinal. Is an ordinal. Yeah. And I don't want to talk about ordinals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so then, Chris, what about uh, uncountable? What's uncountable? Well, a set is uncountable if it's infinite, but not countable. Yep. Actually, that's good enough. <laughs> if there does not exist <laughs> a one-to-one -one function from the positive integers... Onto yourself. Or, oh, yeah. No, no. If there does not exist an onto function right. from positive integers onto whatever mm -hmm. the set is. And the most common one that... That mathematicians say the one that we always fall back on is the real numbers or the interval from zero to one in the real numbers. Neither one. Because well, they're both technically. It, tur it turns out there's the same number. The of same size. That's 
that's probably the, the, the biggest deal with Infinity. Yeah, the biggest uh, deal with Infinity. Because, I mean, they're, what, different levels yeah, or different... Set zero, <laughs> different <laughs> the open set from zero to one is contained in the set of all real numbers. numbers but it's the same size. But they, they have the exact same number of elements in there. <laughs> and that's, that's the weird thing about Infinity. That's because Infinity isn't <laughs> fucking real. Well... <laughs> It's a concept. If you need it's... any other proof that infinity isn't real, uh, set from zero to one, same size as a set from zero to four. Well, Outside a, of math, that makes no sense. Well, yeah, it's it's supposed to be an idea that extends counting with real numbers, but it's just kind of it's a concept. You can't say and it's it's not really a natural concept. You could have, you could have extended the idea any number of ways. Yeah, and then. Uh, I believe we we mentioned Cantor's name, Greg mm. or George Counter, Cantor, <laughs> George, George Count, Cantor, George Counter, Jorg, Jorg <laughs> Cantor, something, Cantor. something like that. Something he's like a Cantor. That. He's a Counter. Which I mean, he very much was a Counter. Yeah. Because he's the person who proved that infinities are different sizes. Mm. Which it kind of goes against. I mean, at least the there the initial more... idea of infinity, which we talked about earlier. It's if you take something out add something to it it's the same thing but not can you anymore be, how can you be more infinite yeah well something's infinite well i mean that's why we have countable and uncountable now because yeah. uncountable They're, is much larger than countable yeah so it turns out to be more real numbers by a whole lot than there are integers for example by an uncountable amount well, yeah. because uncountable minus amount. countable <laughs> is uncountable well, how, how clear how are there, are there well-defined procedures for uh, determining whether there are any uh, infinite sets between two infinite sets in terms of their cardinality? This is called the continuum uh, hypothesis. Well, no, no. The continuum hypothesis is specifically between Aleph null and um, the real numbers. There's the... Um, generalized? Yeah, the generalized okay, continuum general. hypothesis. Is there anything between these? In and you have to assume it. Yeah, it's well, it's it's, it's, it's independent. Been, it's independent. So it's it's you, another you, axiom, maybe. Or? You have no, to assume I, there isn't or is. Yeah, it, you can't. You can't. You can prove assume. It. You can assume both. Yeah, and you'd be perfectly consistent. Yeah, depending on which one you want, the models hold for either. So yes, there are numbers between, say, integers, or there integers, is some set between integers or no, and, you can't and real numbers. Or there's not. Is there any advantage into picking one did. over the other? I, I'm sure there are, and you pick whichever one helps you. Yeah, you pick whichever <laughs> one whose proof you like. I yeah, like the if, sound if, of this. If you want to prove it in this sort of model of set theory, then, yeah, you could say in this set model of set theory, my theorem works, and blah, 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 blah. And then you can say in this other model, maybe you can prove that it doesn't work, and kind of do whatever you want that way. Earlier, you were about to say something about infinite things in the real world. I, I mean, I thought you were about to. What were you? Where were you going? Oh, was I, I was just going to say there are people in the math department. I mean, not so much professors because they have PhDs and they wouldn't dare say anything against the mathematical establishment. There are plenty of grad students who don't think infinity exists, and I I think that's a perfectly good assumption because actually, in order to get that any infinity has to exist, you have to assume that there is an infinite set. Yeah, I mean, that's that's <laughs> one of the first axioms that's one in the, set theory. You can't prove that an infinite set exists yeah. in Zermelo-Frankel, so you have to assume Yeah, it it's, it's an axiom, the axiom of infinity. Yeah. There exists some infinite set. 
and and I, I mean I'm one of the people who hate infinity. Mm. I'm a I do discrete math. I work in the finite sets. That's all that I ever really care to deal with because I see no use for this infinite shit because I mean as as we mentioned earlier, you've just finished analysis. Yeah. The analysis is all about infinity. Yeah, you can't do anything. Yeah. And but I mean from the perspective of analysis, infinity just means an unbounded yeah. It, it doesn't mean the same thing it means in set theory. No, well, when you're dealing with um, measurable functions, you have functions that take on the value of infinity. And you say, this function takes on the value of infinity on a set of measures zero, and we define arbitrarily zero times infinity to be zero. And you need that in order to be able to do Lebesgue integration. And that, that's just one of the... Ba and so it, it's not only unbounded, but they say it actually takes on the value of infinity. It's arbitrarily. They decide how that works. And, and but I mean, infinity is still a. I mean, it's it's still an open question, especially I mean, if you go over to physics and cosmology. I mean, it's it's whether that, the universe is infinite. That or is not. that is the big question. Yeah. I mean, it's. I. And I mean, that's huge. I think I I notice it's interesting that cosmology, in particular. It used to be primarily associated with religion and worldviews. Yeah, it did. And it, it's not anymore. It's now not it's anymore. Physics. Now it's physics. But I don't know that there's a lot of science that goes along. I mean, there's your cosmology is shaped by your science. But I don't know that it's determined by the science. And I think it's kind of interesting that science has taken over what was originally... Well, I mean, it depends on what type of cosmology, too. I mean, you could be talking about just straight up normal like philosophical cosmologies whether the universe is or, infinite or not i don't think that's decidable based on physical or physical i mean but i mean there is a complete subset of cosmology that's referred to as physical cosmology well yeah i mean there's a lot of stuff that you have fairly strong evidence for yeah i mean I, yeah it's not all up in here but yeah. th there's a lot of stuff like is the universe infinite string theory is a lot of philosophy on level of platonism almost and yeah, but different because we're all just vibrating. <laughs> hey, we're all just walking vibrators, right? Not walking <laughs> vibrating strings. There no, no, I am a walking vibrator. Vibrator. <laughs> Without the vibration, you would cease to be in our proper ten-dimensional. Eleven. Eleven. Okay. Eleven-dimensional. It depends on which version of string theory. You like. I, I, I. You, the you, the you, latest one that Green talked about was eleven. So. Okay, and Green's our expert here, so. Well, I mean, he's the he, kind he, of guy he who is, invented the damn thing. He is so. the expert, so yeah. <laughs> Good old Brian Green. Fascinating guy to listen to, though. Uh, but I, before before we were talking about this, it turns out that, I mean, infinity, I mean, we've been talking about math, but we're going to take in a little bit of physics, which is still, I mean, it's just applied math. Uh, let's take a little step outside. I've done some, in my 127 classes, I've done some pretty basic physics problems. And you can't, a lot of those problems you cannot solve based purely on the mathematics of the problem. Why not? Well, wh unless you include in that some of the Newtonian assumptions, Newtonian axioms. Well, I mean, we always include axioms. Philosophy. Yeah. It's still math. But the axioms are f inherently physical. Okay. But they're written in a mathematical way. All right. <laughs> I mean, physics is the... Physics is... is if you count math as... If you count logic as a subset of mathematics, it is. Then pretty much, then you're right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's just let's just take that. But completely outside of anything that is possibly logical, 
there are apparently people that Anthony and Formia refer to as the Scholastics. Oh, yeah. This was a... Um, so part of the Scholastics, part of one, one of the things that they did is... What, they, what are the Scholastics? I mean, when I hear Scholastic, I think of the fucking book club. Yeah, you much pretty, money I dropped in fifth and sixth grade oh on those God. damn books? Yeah, and if they always came around, there'd always be a Scholastic book fair. Like, man, I hope they have the new Magic School Bus. If they didn't, I was very, very angry. Or the new Goosebumps. And if there wasn't a new Goosebumps book. Whew. And then every once in a while, in order to get my parents to pay for everything, I'd like toss in a biography of Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> Be like, okay, I need all this. And I'd put it right on top. Like, here, can I get these books? And maybe maybe on the bottom, there'd be something about uh, George Washington Carver. You know, it's, mm. I mean, my parents grew up, you know, I mean, they were, they were a big part of, you know, the anti-war movement and civil rights during the 60s. So, you know, I just, you know, biographies, famous black people. That's what I went with. Like, that was my go-to. And then I'd stuff all of the books I actually wanted to read in between. And then I'd put it, put it like, they'd be like, hey, can I get these books? And I'd be like, look, you know, just kind of glance. You know, he always glanced at the top and the bottom. I'd be like, yeah, sure, why not? Uh-huh. And I walk out with like five Goosebump books and a bunch <laughs> of things like that. Like, yeah, I gave him the system right there. Thank you, famous African-Americans. I knew they. I knew they'd be good for Whitey at some point. <laughs> and that's our Scholastic in the room. That, that provides us with a perfectly good definition. No. For, okay, for a while during the medieval period, after um, Christianity had taken over, basically Christianity took over Rome. They took over the empire. For a while, they started going because Greek. That there was kind of a lot of bad blood between Greek or uh, between Christians and. Greek thought. Yeah, well, of course. Of course. One of them was deism. One of them was... Well, the Greeks believed in... Well, it was, well. I, I would guess the Greeks were deistic, and the Christians Polythe- not so much. Polytheists? Were they polytheists? It depends. Philosophers tended to be more deistic, and the religion was more polytheistic. And they were... The philosophers and the, theolo- or the religious people in Greek culture were always against each other, too. Yeah, well, except I mean, if you look back at what Socrates wrote about, Socrates constantly talked about the gods. Yeah. But he also constantly lambasted the gods. He also constantly lambasted the gods, and he would sometimes say that they're, they're each of them is part of the god. And, oh, okay. And weird stuff like that, which was not part yeah. of the... Yeah, right, I, was, I was actually thinking of the Christians as theistic, as single god, and then polytheistic for the Greeks, but... Oh, I was thinking deistic meaning impersonal. Oh, okay. No, unified. I was thinking I was thinking as in a single deity. But oh, you mean like the watchmaker? The, the, the impersonal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's deistic. maybe maybe I'm just getting my definition of deistic wrong. It's been a long time since I've taught philosophy of religion. So monotheistic is a Mon- okay. Monotheistic and polytheistic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was one major difference. But the philosophers, well, for one thing, the philosophy you had this whole Platonism thing. And you would have that um, philosophers say that the spirit is eternal and the body is kind of... Oh, God, Plotinus. Oh, uh, my God. I know. It, oh. could, it hurts. That's what I'm saying. That's why we didn't like them. Anyway, so you would have this eternal... Talk about a horrible cosmology. That man's cosmology. And, but he spelled it out very clearly. Yeah. But anyway, you would have, you would have this... Um, so you have the spirit, which we talked about Platonism before. Everything's only an approximation for the ultimate object. Yeah. 
And so basically everything had the spirit, which was kind of, you know, would be the ultimate representation. It was the all soul. All the all soul. soul of man. And being in physical form brought you away from yeah, the Yeah, I mean, you were in physical form. You were only one from the bottom. The only thing below you was animal. Mm. That was the only thing below you, according to the Plotinus cosmology, which was the cosmology for all of the Neoplatonists. Mm. Which by the time, I mean, that's all that were left of the Platonists uh, of the by the time by early Christianity. Yeah. And anyway. And so you, and yeah. And, it and just, so your goal in life was to die so you could rejoin. <laughs> yeah, but die after living a very good after life. After living a good life. Because otherwise your soul may go down mm. and into the body of the animal, which was horrible. That that was the opposite of what you want. Because, I, man, I should really remember because I did a good half a semester on Plotinus at one point. Mm. And I had this entire thing, but it goes, what, animal, uh, and then human physical, yeah. and then there's mm -hmm. two more levels, and then there's the all soul above that. Yeah. The Q continuum was probably like the next level up above <laughs> humans, I think. Star Trek reference. Oh, oh man. But anyway. New and, one looks so good. And then these Christians come by trying to talk to these Greek philosophers about how Jesus died for their sins, and now eventually they're going to be resurrected back in physical bodies. And actually, if you're a Greek philosopher, that's, that's horrible. That's horrible and nonsense. Well, actually, other other at that point in time, other than the uh, Jewish and the Christian beliefs, that would have been bad for everyone. Yeah, everybody else. Yeah, everybody else. You wanted to go up. You wanted to you wanted to die and your spirit would rise and yeah. get away from the body. And that would be a perfected state. Yeah, because, I mean, at that time there's also Hindu and Buddhist. Yeah. Both of which you wanted your soul to not be physical anymore. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, well, they didn't have interaction with Hindus and Buddhists till later, though. Yeah, but I'm just saying, yeah. at, I mean, at that time of, the, For a lot of people, resurrecting in a physical body is horrible. Yeah. Okay, so, so go on. What were the scholastics particularly? Oh, so for... <laughs> We've for, gone off on it. Early medieval history, there was a lot of bad blood between Greeks because the, their cosmology and Christian cosmology yeah. we want to are were just completely at odds. So coming about 900 and after, all of a sudden Christianity rediscovers Greek thought. So in between that time... Yeah, because it was lost for a long time it, in there. Because there was such bad blood between them, it was lost. Yeah. And so after a while, it, it became recovered. And they started talking about the same. Th they started talking about Christianity in terms of Greek thought. And actually, we, you notice, people still talk about Christianity being about dying and going to heaven, which is, they think of it as a non-physical state. And that's that's really not what early Christianity taught. They were really talking about a physical resurrection. So even now, we're still feeling the influence of having rediscovered our Greek. Or non-Greek heritage. Okay, and then the scholastics, the scholastics were the ones who rediscovered it? Rediscovered or? it, okay. and they started doing the things that the Greek did. The Greeks were deistic, and they would prove using logical argument from certain assumptions that gods must exist. One of the proofs would be there must be an infinite being, and this infinite being, or there might, you know, there might be a first cause, there might be an infinite being, something like this. Yeah. And we define this infinite being to be God. And then, and then and the, God the was, scholastics would take this, and God was infinity. And the scholastics would take this over. And then there was a lot of people who were thinking, I thought Christianity and Greek thought were at loggerheads, you know? I don't think they should be talking to each other. Yeah, but you said specifically what, God is the most infinite being? God is the most infinite, the being. Most infinite being. And so Cantor comes along and, then these, and, and says there's, there's levels of infinity. 
for any and not only that but he says that for any infinite number you get there's always going to be one greater and in any case you can just take the power set that yeah. has to be that has to have more elements than the set itself uh, this, and oh. so therefore god can't be the most infinite being because that doesn't make any sense you mentioned the power set operation uh -huh. um you know being able to create a set of larger cardinality by looking at the collection of all subsets of a given set mm -hmm. um are there any other operations set theoretic operations that we can use to get larger sets oh uh, yeah that are oh there are but some, oh, i mean well we have yeah. union union is only going to have as many elements as the larger set if they're if they're infinite but that's how you get that's how you define the limit cardinals is the union of all of the cardinals that's how you it. do ordinals ordinals limit ordinals okay cardinals no all you oh, have yeah. is the power operation ordinals yeah, you do have right. a lot more stuff yeah sorry i said <laughs> I, I i swear i took a set theory class oh i understand about as much as i did when i walked in oh. <laughs> yeah the car i like the cardinals better because they make more sense it's just one to one and on to and that's it ordinals there, the, I, I liked, there's actually an ordinals. infinite number of limit ordinals between the countable and the un uncountable. First uncountable yep. And there's a lot of limit things. That but you can't but get it's past a countable number. But there's a countable, of countable ordinals. And there's all this crazy structure that I just. I, I don't know. I always like the structure of the ordinals. No, I really enjoy it, the ordinals. It, it makes sense. So is, where, where's but God I just try, in there? I try to get rid of the extra stuff. Is God at the top of that thing, or is he like the whole thing? Well, God would be the whole thing. The scholastics would like God to be the whole thing. But, but there's always an infinity that's larger. Under his idea of how infinity works. Okay, so so here's a little write-up. Uh, it was uh, particularly neo-scholastics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, saw Cantor's work as a challenge to the uniqueness of the absolute infinity and the nature of God. On one, These are Christians, by the way. Yeah. They just don't like that particular mode of thinking yeah on one occasion equating the theory of transfinite numbers with pantheism the object of his work were uh, the objections to his work were occasionally fierce poncare referred Cantor's ideas as a grave disease infecting the discipline of mathematics and Kronecker's public opposition and personal attacks included describing Cantor as a scientific charlatan renegade and a corrupter of the youth. Notice math and science were the same. What? He didn't say math. He was a scientific charlatan. charlatan. Yeah, scientific. scientific charlatan. But I mean, at that point, science and math were the same. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. it's still, I feel well, that they should be at this point, but there, we've, there we've gotten a so abstracted at math now. There, well, there are a lot of subjects that, I mean, there are a whole lot of stuff that used to just be all under philosophy and split out. You know, yeah. math, Math and science eventually split up. Computer science and math eventually split up yeah. like 40 years ago. But you notice it always starts in math. Statistics and math are now splitting off. Thank yeah, God. Yeah, we don't <laughs> want those people. I still think it's crazy, but all right. It's, they, they deal with numbers. Oh, well, that's true. <laughs> when was the last time you saw an actual number in a math class? Yeah, mathematicians don't like numbers. No, numbers, sure. are, numbers are horrible. Uh, a Wittgenstein apparently said, uh, lamented that mathematics is ridden through and through with the pernicious idioms of set theory, which he desist, uh, dismissed as utter nonsense that is laughable and wrong. Well, it is nonsense, well, but it may, be, it, may, it may not be wrong. It's only wrong if you can't 
I don't know, use it for something. And we use it, we use it for stuff all the time. Well, I, we use it to do of, other things in math. Part of, part yes. Of the, part of the reason set theory became so popular was this, um, there was this big post, okay, modernism. You guys know what foundationalism, that sort of philosophy? Okay, mathematics, you, you know what it is, you just don't know what's called that. Okay, mathematics is very foundationalist. You always start from axioms using the basics of logic. Everything should be built up from some basic assumptions which are undoubtable. Yeah, okay, axiomatic that, theory. Axiomatic set theory. That is, that's called foundationalism. Okay. Um, recently and prior to that, uh, not only prior to this, this was not, this was not the primary form of logic. This is not the way people thought. And currently, there were a lot of postmodern challenges to this. Yeah, but postmodernism is a bunch of bollocks. It's an entire thing created by a bunch of people who had no idea how to create anything new, so they just spent their time making fun of everything that was old. Sorry, I, I have I have a huge Very possibly. huge objection to postmodernist thought. Uh, well, there's there's a, a lot of the philosophy of science now is also postmodern, and I know you don't like science, but there it is. And no, I like science. I don't like philosophy. I love science. Science is great. Hmm. Well, I, I'm not overly fond of I'm not overly fond of foundationalism just because I don't think there is anything that everybody can agree upon. We're pretty good with set theory. Well, we can't even agree if uh, infinite set exists or not. But I'm perfectly willing to agree that in mathematics we can state that there's an infinite set. I'm not sure if infinity exists. I'm just willing to talk about it. <laughs> That's essentially what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. I no, but it's I I don't necessarily think that math has to hold itself to the physical world. Well And if it doesn't, then sure, there can exist an infinite set just because we say there does. It sounds like we have a little bit of freedom in choosing which system what, what our axiomatic system is. Uh, kind yeah, of, of like uh, axiomatic relativity, you know, I given the set of axioms and given the rules of logic, but these theorems th are true. I think, I think what we've kind of done is shown that, and um, Godel had an incompleteness theorem that said that any set of axioms you choose, there are going to be statements that are that you can make within these set of axioms that may essentially be true but can't be proven within these axioms. Well, yeah, it may be true, it may be false, but the point is you can't prove it true or false within the axioms. I mean, I mean that's the basic premise behind theoretical computer science too. There exists true statements that have no proof. Yeah. But They're outside of recursively enumerable languages. And so the question is, if you assume that anything that calls itself logic ought to be able to prove everything that's essentially true, foundationalism inherently can't do that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, but I, I'd never thought that, I mean, because I, I've seen well, proofs. Well, that's how, that's, how that's how you get away with mathematics being foundationalist. People don't care if it's really true or not. They just work <laughs> with it. But, yeah, but in I mean, other in, in other in areas, in the real world, I mean, there's proofs that that show that there are things in the real world that are true and have no proof. Like what? The, that's kind of the problem. We don't know. Well, in, in our current form of philosophy and how how we, I mean, there's multiple forms of logic, but assuming logic takes this particular pattern, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I and mean, well, I mean, just going from say the Church-Turing thesis, which I don't think needs all of those axioms, does it? The what? Which one? Church, Church Turing, Turing thesis. If there is a com if there is a machine that can do a some computation, then there exists a Turing machine that can do that computation. Probably not. And then we can use that 
to then prove that there are problems that a Turing machine cannot do axiom. that are undecidable. Oh, that, it, I think that's actually how it was done. Is that an yeah. axiom? Is Go the church this. is the church uh, Turing uh, church it's a Turing thesis? But I mean, is is it can it be proved or is it unprovable? Well, I mean, it's a Turing machine can do any computation that any normal machine can do. the The question of whether or not it will hold fully when quantum machines mm -hmm. start taking over is a little bit of a question, but it should still. But yeah, part of it, it'll just take a long time. Turing machines are not nothing that you would ever build to do a computation but they're a very they're useful thing it's for proofs you don't yeah you don't worry about that in the positive direction that that direction doesn't interest anyone it's the contrapositive that's interesting if there does not exist a turing machine that can do a computation then there exists no machine that, that can, can do, do that computation turing's as simple as it gets yeah and if a turing can't do it then it can't be done yeah. by any machine in this yeah. universe under these physics. under these physics or sorry or well, just just it can't be done period under well i mean i don't know we've how many what types of machines do we have access to no this uh, is it, any it, machine it, it can't be done under classical what's a machine some that that is a topic classical for another discrete, day man classical discrete calculations yeah and uh well we talked about kroniker uh but oh uh, kroniker yeah. who hated cantor actually rejected the notion of infinity entirely and began a school of thought called finitism, hmm. which uh, I mean, it literally was mathematics without infinity. Hmm. Yeah, but a lot of the reason that set theory became so popular is there was all these challenges, postmodern challenges to foundationalism, and so Moorhead and what was it, Whitehead and Moore... uh, Russell, Russell, wait, wait. Russell Whitehead and who? It's it, I thought it was just the two of them, just because they're the ones who wrote Principia. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, White Whitehead actually later became a theologian. He invented process theology, which I thought was an interesting connection. I never but would have, I never would have pictured Whitehead as a theologian, but Yeah, that's what he be, after after this happened. So let me tell you what happened. He had you have this all this foundationalism for all of mathematics and he thought, well, if anything in the world ought to be evidently true based on upon our certain set of axioms, it ought to be mathematics. You know, if you can't prove something in mathematics, that means you can't prove it in anything. And so he was having this philosophical um, breakdown, basically. And he decided that what, what he should be able to do is anything in mathematics, you ought to be able to prove it using a simple computer, which is where the Turing machines come in. Yeah. And then eventually Godel comes along and proves that, no, there are statements that you can make that cannot be proven in this way. And therefore, any set of axioms is incomplete in the sense that it can't prove all statements. And then he had this whole breakdown in his philosophy and <laughs> became a theologian. Yeah, well, I mean, and <laughs> and he wrote, I mean, he wrote Principia Mathematica with yeah. Bertrand Russell, which tried to bring together all of set theory, but was ridden with a few issues. It's interesting. Russell, or... Uh, yeah, Russell, the... Russell, the, the, the atheist, atheist's atheist. And the other one became a theo process theologian, which... So weird. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm sure they had a bit of a falling out or yeah, fantastic some, letters because Russell was a happened. Russell was a letter writer. Mm. And he apparently wrote thousands upon thousands of letters in his life, mm. and so I'm sure some of his with Albert North are quite mm. entertaining.
So let's just recap what we've learned today. One, infinity equals 8,734. So we can we know it now. We know we know <laughs> the decimal notation for infinity. Two, there's more than one infinity. And three, that is a pernicious idea that is infecting all of mathematics. mathematics yes. <laughs> 8,734 8, does not really exist. Yeah. That, that's just yeah, that, that's another thing. So if that's the population of your town, <laughs> no, you don't. Wow, exist. there's so many people. How can you all fit in one finite-sized town? They must be cursed, or <laughs> maybe it's called pandemonium. <laughs> okay, and that uh, that amount of actual, real, and completely true. Wow, we managed to get through without lying got, about anything. We got a lot. We got through a lot of stuff. Yeah, today. we 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 covered a lot. So once again. If any of this was any interest to you and you want to know more, say you want to talk to Anthony Solari, Anthony Solari over there about something, uh, just email combinationsandpermutations at gmail.com. I'm sure we can set up a conference call. And Or if you just have a topic suggestion, you just want to say hi, you want to say that we suck, you want to say that we're good, email us, please. We'd love to hear from you. Once again, it's combinationsandpermutations at gmail.com. And there's also show notes that go out every week very carefully put together pictures that link to things sometimes they're funny most of the time they involve some sort of ms paintwork and that is combinations and permutations.blogspot.com thank you all for listening and i hope that your week is as good as the week after finals well, that's it for another episode of Combinations and Permutations. If you want to get a hold of us, please email us at combinationsandpermutations at gmail.com. Also, check out our blog at combinationsandpermutations.blogspot.com. This episode has been licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike license. All the music that you've heard on this podcast is from SP12. If you like what you hear, go check them out at opsound.org. Thank you for listening.